Welcome to the CrocCast, a podcast for peace studies conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. In today's episode, we're discussing the Barometer Initiative, part of the Croc Institute's Peace Accords Matrix Project. The Barometer Initiative team is providing real-time monitoring of the Colombian Peace Accord implementation process. In this podcast, they will discuss their recently released fourth report. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the CrocCast. I'm David Courtright, the former director of the Croc Institute's Peace Accords Matrix Project. PAM, which is part of the Croc Institute, is a premier source of comparative data on peace agreements and their implementation. And within PAM, the Barometer Initiative is a first-of-its-kind effort to provide real-time monitoring for peace agreement implementation processes around the world. The 2016 Colombian Peace Agreement gives the Barometer Initiative primary responsibility for technical verification and monitoring of implementation of the accord. This is the first time a university-based research center has played such a direct role in supporting the implementation of the peace agreement. We here at the Croc Institute have just launched our fourth comprehensive report on the status of implementation in Colombia. And I'm joined today by several members of the Barometer team to discuss the methodology for tracking implementation, the findings of our report four, and how the current global pandemic is affecting the peace process and our monitoring work. I'm joined today by Josefina Echevarria, the director of the Peace Accords Matrix at Notre Dame, Daniel Cano, who is our political relations coordinator on the barometer team, Elise Dita, research associate for the Peace Accords Matrix at Notre Dame, and Kyle Johnson, our reports and briefs coordinator in Colombia. We have just released our fourth report, as I mentioned, and I wanted to ask Danielle if you could talk about the barometer team in Colombia and how we gather information to track the implementation. Hi, David. Thank you so much for inviting me to this broadcast. And regarding to your question, what we do in order to gather information for tracking the implementation of the peace agreement is that we prioritize and we always emphasize to have a triangulated information. This means that we gather information from multiple sources like the government institutions, like the FARC party, different organizations of the civil society, not just at the national level in Bogota, but also at the territorial level with the different allies that we have. And also we try to do it in a real time, as you mentioned it, to do that, we do a monthly report from our national and the territorial teams, and we send this information to our uh, colleagues in Notre Dame so that information can be analyzed and in order to produce the quantitative information that we uh, deliver in our reports. We also conduct this information gathering through reports, interviews, focus groups, and different activities both at the national and the territorial level, which is a very important part. And I think one of the key elements and one of the added values of our methodology is that we gather information from different sources, from uh, different regions of, of the country, and we compare all this information to produce a very uh, detailed, technical, reliable information to deliver to the responsibles for the implementation, which are the government and the FARC party. 
Thank you. And, and when you say FARC party, you're talking about the former rebel group, which has now created a political party as part of the peace process. Yes. You mentioned the uh, territorial part of the monitoring team. That's uh, an innovation, isn't it? Could you just say another word or so about the uh, territorial process of trying to monitor and collect information? Yes, sure. Since the territorial implementation of the peace agreement is one of the main aspects of one of the main purposes, actually, of the peace agreement, which is being able to transform the structural causes of the conflict, we prioritize this territorial information in order to be able to measure the level of implementation in the prioritized territories for the implementation, which are 16 regions. And we have different liaisons in some of these regions in order to discuss with the different actors in these territories so we can have a, a better understanding of what is happening. Because as you probably know, there are many differences in terms of regions in, in Colombia. So the implementation is occurring at different levels and the progress is measured and compared between these regions. We are about to produce, hopefully in the next months, separated and differentiated reports for these regions where we can be able to compare how the implementation process is progressing between these regions. Great. So you collect all this information and you send it to the research team at Notre Dame. I wonder, Elise, if you could tell us what it's like to be receiving all this information and how you try to quantify it and turn it into a database. Sure, David. Thanks for having us today. As you said, every month we receive all types of information about the implementation of the peace agreement from our team all around Colombia. We have divided the peace agreement into 578 different commitments. Um, that can be everything from creating a land fund for people who don't have land to providing reparations to victims of the armed conflict. Every month, we look in, at the information that's been sent to us from our team in Colombia, and we look at the progress of each of those 578 different commitments. And we give it a quantitative measurement from zero to three. So zero means that the commitment hasn't started, and three, that it's completed, one, that it's initiated, and two, that it's well on its way to be completed or viable. Something really innovative about our methodology is though, though we suggest a code, suggest a quantitative measurement, that information is validated and checked both with our team in Columbia and with our research professors at Notre Dame. This participatory coding or, or measurement process is an exciting innovation that allows us to unite our practice and our work in the field um, with our acad academic knowledge knowledge that comes from the long history of the Peace Accords Matrix. Well, interesting. Say a word about this territorial monitoring that Danielle mentioned, and how does that relate to your overall methodology? And I would imagine there are special demands in trying to uh, do these reports on the degree of implementation in the different territories. Definitely. Like Daniel said, Colombia is a diverse country in terms of populations, in terms of geography, in terms of how different populations were affected by the armed conflict. 
So while we can give a number how things are going at the national level in terms of substituting coca crops for other crops, that will vary greatly by different region, um, by different municipality. And what our work across the territories in Colombia allows us to do is provide more nuance and more detail about how the peace accord implementation is actually happening in different areas of, of Colombia. This is really important because it allows our data to speak more directly to what people are experiencing uh, around Colombia and their different realities. Yeah, could you give us uh, more information or more detail of an example, uh, at least, of this uh, territorial monitoring process? I understand that the barometer has done a, a study of the implementation process in the Catatumbo region in the north of the country, a region that's been troubled by a lot of conflict and instability. Could you give us an example for example, uh, about how the uh, monitoring methodology would apply there? Yes. So across the country, what are different representatives in the different regions particularly affected by the armed conflict do is collect information about implementation through a myriad of ways. They're in contact with municipal authorities about how local development projects are progressing, or they're in contact with local coca growers about how the crop substitution process is going on. The advantage at the local level is that we can also do focus groups, workshops with local people that are particularly affected by the armed conflict. One recent focus group that was done uh, was on the implementation of the peace agreement for young people in the Cactetumbo region and looked, looking at their particular experiences. So like I said, these kind of focus groups and direct contact allows us to really get down to the nitty gritty details of how how implementation is being done at that local level. Good. So there's all of this information being um, gathered by our team in Colombia. It comes to Notre Dame for the quantitative and qualitative analysis. And then how does this get produced and how do the reports of the barometer program get created? I wonder, Kyle, if you could talk about that process of trying to put all this information together into reports and, and how the reports are designed and who do you see as the main audiences? The first step is creating kind of a meta-narrative that we can put to the test and that we can present as kind of the thesis of the report as we write the report and then kind of come to a final product and present it. As we define these meta-narratives with the team, the team members are then, both in Bogota and South Bend, organized into different groups where they will then write or start drafting the different points for the report. So. Point one, for example, the peace agreement had a group of two or three people that would work together and write the first rough draft. Once that's done for all of the different points of the accord and for all the different parts of the report, those texts were sent to myself and to Juanita, another editor, where we would put them together and try to make sure that all of the report had one single tone. And one challenge of having multiple people writing different aspects of the report is making sure the report has one clear message and tone throughout the whole text. And we would also check to make sure that, for example, the qualitative analyses, which make up the bulk of the report, at least do not contradict the quantitative data that we were getting. So on one point, on point two of the agreement, for example, we had a qualitative analysis that we later found did not really match up well with the quantitative information. And so we had to change that with the author of that point. 
And as this process moves forward, it becomes kind of an internal dialogue within the whole of the team between editors, writers, and other people in the team who maybe communications people or anyone else who's interested in the report or works on the report so that we have a clear idea of kind of the whole picture of implementation. Um, and then we have a clear idea of what are the messages and what's the analysis saying for the last year of implementation. But we also added some new aspects to the report, such as an analysis of the implementation like framework plan, which is a government planning tool for implementation. Um, we included a comparative analysis looking at other countries and um, after three years of their implementation. And we also included sections specifically for gender, ethnic, and territorial focuses. So once we get that all together and we start moving forward, it's, it's a challenge to make sure that we have everything perfectly written, all the data mac- matches what we are saying as well. And we have a clear message that meta narrative we discussed at the beginning can be adjusted or changed according to the evidence, but it must be clear throughout the whole of the report. And so that was part of our job. And then we helped, we kind of finished the report with some opportunities to strengthen implementation. And so from the editing and data side of things, you have to make sure that these opportunities are based on the analyses and they make sense according to the information presented. So it's a very challenging process, but in part, it's making sure that that data and that qualitative analysis and everything that we present here, page by page, is coherent, well-argumented, and makes, and makes sense. So now that we have the report and all this work is done, uh, what are the main findings? I wonder if uh, Josefina and Danielle, maybe if you could tell us, you know, what are the results? How is the implementation of the peace agreement in Colombia progressing? Yes, thank you, David, for this invitation. In our fourth report on implementation, we make clear that the Colombian peace agreement is progressing well as one of the most comprehensive peace agreements in the world. It will require more than a decade to complete its implementation. We see a lot of very positive aspects being done in the past few months. One of them is the prioritization that the government has made It has allowed for very important advances on some of the themes. At the same time, we call the attention to the importance of mainstreaming much more the transversal approaches of the agreement, ethnic, gender, and territorial approaches, because the movement that we are able to see in the implementation is that we're going from designing the architectural, institutional aspects and structure of the implementation, and we're moving to really a transformation in the territories. So this requires not just shifting the attention, but also shifting the priorities in many of the ways in which we are used to doing peace building in the country. Yeah, thank you, Josefina, for that overview of the findings. Danielle, I wonder if you could point to some of the specific success stories that we found that are in the implementation process. Sure, David. I think I will highlight several, starting from the disarmament and reintegration process of more than 1,300 former combatants of FARC and their political participation and their permanent in the legal aspect of, of being consistent with this commitment to continue re- their reincorporation process. I think that's one of the most successful aspects of this process so far. But also, I need to highlight the approval of the territorial plans for development, which are a very important participatory mechanisms that has helped many communities in different regions of the country 
to actually create their idea of development for the, the, the future years. And this is also a result of the peace agreement. And that's something that is start progressing right now. But the whole participation mechanism to approve these plans were a very successful story. Another important aspect is the creation of the architecture of the peace agreement for the implementation. We are referring to plans, programs, institutions that are need to the implementation be completed in a successful manner. Another important aspect is the territorial deployment of the integral system for victims reparation, which are allowing victims around the country to access the different service of the program and also the reparation mechanisms included within the peace agreement. So the inclusion of the gender and ethnic approaches is also a very relevant aspect to highlight within the success stories of the implementation of the peace agreement. The same idea of including these approaches within the agreement is something that we highlight previously. We consider that this is going to help these marginalized groups to reduce the social gaps that has been affecting them since the the origin of the the armed conflict in Colombia. Yeah, Daniel, you talk about the participation and inclusion of the different groups. Uh, Could you say a further word about the partners that you work with in Colombia in the Barometer team? Which groups are you in conversation with the most that are important for our work? Of course, David, we already have a network of several hundreds of allies in the territories. And I will start, of course, by the government institutions and agencies because they are the main responsibles for the implementation of the peace agreement. So we have a permanent communication with the different entities responsible for the implementation, both at the national and the territorial level. We have also an important group of civil society that we have a permanent communication like human rights organizations and platforms, ethnic groups, women organizations. We also have a very detailed and continuous communication with the different entities of the international community, different agencies of the international community that work promoting the implementation of of the peace agreement, especially with the UN mission for verification, which we have a very close uh, links at the the territorial level in order to be able to monitor the progress of implementation, especially related to reincorporation aspects, but also to security. The private sector is another important ally that we have a, a, a dialogue with in order to in understand how they are compromising with the implementation of uh, in, in the different regions, universities, think tanks, foundations. It's a huge network of people and institutions that we try to connect permanently so we can have a, a very robust source of information. This is a very important process because we need to answer to a, a huge responsibility, which is our mandate. And of course, in that sense, we try to gather all these type of groups and institutions to provide the more reliable source of information. Let me ask uh, Josefina, um, based on the findings of Report 4, what are those opportunities that you've mentioned that we have identified where more work is needed to support the implementation of the accord? 
Yeah, in our report, we're also able to identify different opportunities, not just by, in general, through looking at the transversal approaches or intersectional approaches of the accord, but also looking at point by point. So, for example, let me give you, let me talk to you a little bit about the victims, the point number five of victims, development in the peace agreement. So what we see in that particular point is that this is the point that has advanced the most in the implementation decree in the period under study, which is the year 2019. And at the same time, we see that there are some main challenges that we should tackle in order to support implementation. The first one is to, for example, prioritize the collective reparation processes and to coordinate the transitional justice mechanisms with the ordinary justice mechanisms. In this slide, what we see is that we have an amazing opportunity for improvement if we're able to strengthen the best practices of participation mechanisms within the transitional justice system and also the possibility to present the bill to reform the victim's law. So this is what we would like to call these low-hanging fruits, that these are opportunities that we have in front of our eyes that we are capable of doing, that if we put our efforts national, internationally to do it, we will be able to increase implementation. And if we increase implementation, we will have much better basis for the construction of sustainable peace. Okay, thank you. So how does this monitoring work, the gathering of data, and then the reporting, uh, how does this affect the policy process or the political perspectives that people have about the implementation process? Danielle, I wonder what your thoughts are. Yes, since we have different liaisons in territories in Colombia, since we are producing our reports annually, but we have already also short briefs in terms of political impact. We're trying to have a stronger dialogue with uh, local governments so we can be able to promote the implementation of the peace agreement and to provide the different tools that local governments need to understand better how the peace agreement could be implemented, but also how the implementation could help them to achieve the results in their local development plans. In that sense, we've been trying to have a permanent communication with the different entities responsible for the local development plans, and we are providing technical support to these groups so they are able to connect the different necessities of the territory with the opportunities that the peace agreement provides. And this is, has been very helpful for these organizations and for the local governments and also has opened the possibility for us to create an alliance between the National Federation of Departments in order to provide a more sustainable way this technical advisory for the new governments. This is a great opportunity because most of this, due to the last election in 2019, we have new governors, new mayors for uh, the whole country, and most of them are willing to learn and understand how they will promote implementation in a better way within their national plans. But also, this has very, been very useful because some of the, or sorry, most of the commitments within the peace agreement need to translate in public policies. And also, we've been working directly with the National Department of Planning 
to understand how they can achieve their goals in terms of planning that are related to with the peace agreement within actual public policies. Let's say, for example, the implementation of the national transformation plans for the different sectors like education, health, tertiary roads, electrification, connectivity, different services that need, need to be provided to the most affected communities in the territory need to have this focus from the implementation, so from the peace agreement. So we've been having this conversation and with, with this discussion with the National Depart- Department of Planning so we can provide some feedback or input in how they could be more effective, or effective on the implementation of these public policies. Okay, thank you. So how do you manage expectations of all the parties? I understand that Colombia is uh, quite polarized politically these days. There are different expectations about implementation. How do you avoid just simply appearing as a kind of a grading or assessment for the different parties? I mean, the key to to following and, and monitoring implementation without making it sound like you're grading or assessing the different parties is, is a question of tone. You need to stick as much as you can to the facts and make sure that your analysis is backed up by those facts and is as strong as possible. Avoiding any kind of, you know, judgment type tone is 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 difficult but quite quite possible. Often it's a very specific exercise and often where you don't include adjectives. You don't include words like well or poorly. You simply compare things according to the timeline if there's a timeline available for the stipulation. You present the facts as such. And the goal is to prevent the facts in such a way that anyone can then draw their own conclusion. Often people will draw the conclusion that they've already arrived at before even reading the report. But the idea is, is to make sure that it's facts, clear analysis, and that analysis is explanatory um, because you need, still need space to identify those opportunities. So trying to focus as much as you can on facts and explaining those facts and why things are the way they are in terms of implementation. That's the big challenge, but it's, it's, a very, it's, a very, it's a big question of tone. And that requires a lot of eyes on the report before it gets published so that we can all agree and kind of everyone checks everybody else to make sure that we don't have that tone of evaluation or assessment. Josefina, uh, maybe do you have any thoughts on how to manage expectations in the current political context in Colombia? How to manage expectations. I think that one aspect has been highlighted by Kyle before is how do we provide a tone in our assessment that does not evaluate or grade the performance of the of the different implementing agencies, but that, that actually takes kind of like an independent picture of reality and shares that picture with different stakeholders who are interested in supporting the implementation process. Now, you know, in PAM, we know that all over the world, especially after the signing of the peace agreement, there is a great amount of expectations from people who have gone and have had personal experiences of violence and conflict to actually see the results of the peace signature rather quickly. Sometimes the transformations that we are all called upon to perform in our lives and to carry on in our lives require much of a longer time. 
So we need to be able, in terms of managing the expectations of those who use our report, who find our report in our report insights for their own work and for their own lives, a big part of that is reminding all of us how difficult it is to change and how important it is to continue not just following what has been written in the in the peace agreement, but really developing a resilient view on the peace agreement, which is we are going through moments maybe politically that are difficult and that are challenging, and we are committed to this implementation, and not just for a few years, but for generations. So it's having that long-term perspective, those 200 years that Elise Boldin always used to talk about. That's our present, are those 200 years. Yeah, Garcia Marquez talked about 100 years of solitude, so 200 years of peace building. (laughs) (laughs) A good addition to that. Danielle, do you have any further thoughts on the, the expectations issue and how to help people understand the long task that's ahead? Sure, David. I think it's something that is very interesting in the Colombian Peace Agreement. And uh, we mentioned several times that I always repeat it is the, the number of commitments related to social transformation programs, which is like 90% of the total peace agreement, which is going to require a longer time to implement compared to, for example, the traditional disarmament and the demobilization and reintegration process that we have seen in other international contexts. So if we consider that we are trying to actually transform, as Kyle and Josefina mentioned, the history, the structural causes of the conflict, and that we are not ambitioning just to reintegrate 12 or 13,000 former combatants, but also to provide to this country a new landscape for peace building and to reduce inequalities and to achieve the transformation that we all that we all ambition and want uh, that perspective is going to give us a different expectation about this peace process and in that sense that's going to give us also a more balanced perspective and expectations about what to expect and at what pace, what rhythm we should expect in with this process, also taking into the consideration that we have a very polarized society and this is going to take actually, as you mentioned, probably more than 200 years, but also is something that we can start doing in a, in a coherent and a structured way and as, is, as it is proposed on, on the peace agreement. So tell me how the current coronavirus pandemic is affecting the peace process itself and your work in trying to monitor implementation. Uh, Josefina, you want to say a few words on that? Yeah, the, the COVID emergency and the pandemic have really changed a lot of the way that we do things by the very restrictions that have been initiated and that have been in place since, let's say, February, March, especially in in Colombia. And this has implied, on the one hand, that the very peace-building activities have had to adapt to that emergency. There are some of them that have changed. 
There are a lot of virtual spaces that have been opening in order for people to meet and carry on certain activities. What that has, in, and there are of course other activities that are not taking place. We're seeing that this emergency has really changed the way that the peace agreement is being carried out with both positive and negative aspects and positive and negative consequences to that. In terms of monitoring the implementation, this has meant for us at the Kroc Institute that we have also had to adapt a lot of our methodology to be able to do the follow-up uh, mostly in a virtual way. So we have had internally a process of adaptation, a process of you know, bolstering our own technological responses to the crisis and being able to accompany everyone who is implementing the peace agreement in their own process. Elise, do you want to add to that specifically? In terms of COVID-19 and implementation of the accord, I think the discussions we've had among our team members have led to some really interesting reflections. First, the COVID-19 pandemic highlights a lot of the inequalities and issues in Colombia that the Peace Accord is also trying to address in terms of state infrastructure, health infrastructure in rural areas, inequalities at the economic and political level. So in some ways, the current pandemic situation and the implementation of the peace agreement go hand in hand. That a kind of a bird's eye view. At a specific view, as Josefina was saying, there's some practical concerns, both in terms of our data collection, but also in terms of the implementation of the accord. Um, so participatory processes related to local planning, for example, that are included in the accord can no longer be done in person. The Truth Commission and the Special Jurisdiction for Peace, which is a, a tribunal, have not been able to have their normal meetings and hearings. So there's some concerns about slowdowns and implementation in particular areas. And then I think what remains to be seen and, and what will become more clear in the, in the coming months is how this crisis affects the financing of the accord and reorientation of priorities um, in terms of policy at the international and national and, and local level. What will international donors be funds be used for? What will priorities be for the government in terms of health and in terms of other infrastructure? Those are questions that we don't know the answer to moving forward. Yes, and uh, Danielle, any other thoughts on the impacts of the uh, pandemic? Yes, sure. In addition to what Josefina and Elise mentioned, I think there is an important aspect related to temporality and how the COVID will probably affect some of the commitments like institutions, for example, like the Commission for Peace, they have to deliver a specific report on a specific date. And due to the COVID situation, they are not able to conduct different processes in order to achieve all the information that they need to produce this, this report. So that might affect the time that they have for delivering this type of, of products. And also in, in, in relation to what Elise already mentioned in terms of uh, resources, there are a very key element, which is that the government has prioritized as one of the sources 
for the um, implementation of the peace agreement, the re revenues that the country received from the oil price. And as we know, there is a huge crisis in terms of the oil price at the international level. So that might be affect the capacity of the government to be able to respond to that commitment in terms of, of resources for financing the implementation of the peace agreement in the next years. That's, that's an important risk. And also that international economic crisis is affecting some of the resources for international foundations and international cooperation. And we have heard from some of them that they are in a process of reducing or cutting part of their, their aid money for the implementation of the peace agreement. This is, hasn't been confirmed yet, but this is a concern that has been expressed directly from the different foundations and international, international aid agencies that are present in, in Colombia. So, of course, there is a, a huge risk and threatened by, uh, sorry, and threat by the, the COVID. But also I, I, I want to highlight the huge effort that the government is trying to do or doing in order to, to um, reduce the negative effect of the COVID, especially with rain corporation or former combatant, former combatants from FARC trying to provide the different necessities in terms of food, housing, and be able to sustain the rain corporation, the economic rain corporation process within this pandemic. And also they are prioritizing resources for the health system in these areas that we already mentioned where implementation is prioritized in order to stretch in the capacity of the health system. So it is important also to highlight that the government is doing a great effort in terms to, to confront this uh, pandemic with measures related to, to the implementation of the peace agreement. Well, thank you to all of the Peace Accords Matrix and Barometer team for this uh, helpful oversight of an overview of your, your project. Uh, there are obviously many challenges, but you're also indicating that there's been important progress. Uh, it's really quite an unprecedented and very meaningful project that we hope can help Colombia recover from more than 50 years of war that has affected so many people and caused such harm across the country. So it's helping Colombia. Uh, it's also, we hope, uh, serving as a model for people in other countries who may be afflicted by armed conflict, who are trying to negotiate an agreement to end conflict, and where this barometer model of engaged implementation monitoring could be a way forward to enhance the chances of implementation. So we wish you all well, and thank you very much. You've been listening to the CrocCast, Peace Studies Conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies. You can find all episodes of the CrocCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and online at croc.nd.edu slash podcast. You can also rate and review our podcast, which will help more people find our show. For more updates and stories from the Croc Institute, follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To learn more about the Peace Accords Matrix Project or the Barometer Initiative, and to read the full fourth report, please visit peaceaccords.ng.edu. Thanks for listening.